millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show... The Jamie Carragher Show takes over Sky Sports and CBS. Insight about NWSL's TV coverage plans for this season. News on how ambitious Paramount Plus's plans are. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside co-host Kartik Krishnair. If you're new to the World Soccer Talk podcast, uh, we're your weekly guide for hardcore soccer fans who want to get the best out of soccer viewing options from around the world, uh, whether it's uh, online, television, apps, documentaries, uh, YouTube, you name it. Kartik, uh, let's, th- th- we've got a lot to get to in this episode. Um, probably the best place to start is uh, from this busy week of football, uh, mostly from Europe. Of course, we've had, you mean, Copa Sudamericana, Copa Libertadores, we've had the CONCACAF, Champions League, we've had uh, Liga MX, uh, a little bit later this week we've got uh, NWSL, you name it. But two things that came up this week, which are probably two of the biggest talking points, one of them, now from, from, from a TV analysis point of view, one of them came from the UK and one of them came from the US. The one from the US would have been Wednesday, post-match, with uh, Jamie Carragher and uh, Micah Richards and the CBS crew, kind of their post-match analysis and some of the things they got up to on that one. We also have Monday, Monday Night Football from Sky Sports in the UK. It's not available in the US, but anyone who's on social media or Twitter especially on Monday evening or on on Tuesday would have seen tons of clips of uh, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher getting into it, having some discussions and banter and back and forth. The the actual um, commonality between these two is that Jamie Carragher is front and center, both in the UK and the US, on some really hot soccer topics. I would say right now, Kartik, uh, agree or disagree, Jamie Carragher is arguably the hottest soccer TV analyst in the game right now. What do you think? Hottest in terms of on the most, maybe, uh, but uh, I... You know, I, I watched the whole uh, segment with Neville. I, I thought that he came off second best. Uh, and, and actually, he's, he, he, he's a weak second best among two people. So uh, hot in terms of, yeah, he's on a lot. I, I'm not sure he's giving the, the, the best analysis. 
Yeah, but well, let's go there, though, first, because for a lot of listeners, um, I only saw the clips. I think you saw more of the coverage So from Sky Sports on Monday Night Football. And the main topic, right, was uh, Trent Ol- uh, Alexander-Arnold. Was that the main topic? Was, or did they no, kind the, of- whole, the whole Euro team, right? They, put, they selected their 23, but obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, is, is, is the talking point and has been the talking point since Jurgen Klopp came out and... Uh, I think kind of had a pop at, uh, at, at Gareth Southgate, basically saying, I, I coach this guy all, all, every match and he's world-class and uh, can't understand why Trippier, uh, who, who is off the radar for some of these, these British pundits, right? Because he's playing in La Liga. Uh, Trippier and, and Walker and Reese James could be selected ahead of him. So that was, I think, one of the bigger bones of contention. Uh, but then it was just selecting their entire 23. Uh, the, the thing I should mention for our listeners is you can – after the fa- after it airs on Monday Night Football, Sky Sports Football, and it's not Sky Sports, it's Sky Sports Football on YouTube, you can subscribe and legally get these clips in the United States. And you will not see them uh, at, at the time they air in the UK, but you will see them uh, the next morning. So uh, the Monday Night Football clips are, are, are on YouTube by Tuesday morning, and you can see them in the United States legally that way. Uh, but so, so you can actually go and see this whole segment, which was about a half an hour long. So Gary Neville, in terms of a analyst, one of the top uh, top in the game, right? One of the best yeah, analysts yeah. out there as far as uh, really tactically analyzing a game and breaking it down and having some strong opinions and backing them up with some good evidence and some good opinions. Jamie Carragher, w- was there some of that there on that Monday Night Football from Sky Sports, would you say? I think the, the the one really good point he made was that he would take Jude Bellingham to the tournament because uh, Bellingham is playing at, at a very high level at uh, Borussia Dortmund. He's playing regularly, which we weren't sure he would this season, but Dortmund is not as good as we thought they'd be actually. So that's why. And uh, Axel Witz, Witzel, who's phenomenal, world-class player, has been out for most of the season. Uh, so he slid into that role. But that was a good point because his point on that was, look, I think if you, for your final guy, if you're taking 23 and you've already gotten your got 22 guys, you've got three keepers, et cetera, you, you want that, that next guy to be, that final guy to be a guy that's not going to upset the dressing room. So you don't want to necessarily take a veteran player. And then you, you want a guy that you know is going to be part of your plans for the next tournament and the tournament beyond that and the tournament beyond that. So even if Bellingham doesn't fit into your plans this time he probably does uh in 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 2022 and 2024 and 2026 and uh the point also that was not made by Carragher but is is probably factors into this is England has been eliminated obviously from uh the U21 Euros so uh there's no summer tournament commitment for the at the youth level for England uh this this summer Uh, they were eliminated at the group stage uh, this past week so uh Bellingham would be available so what is it about Jamie Carragher that puts him in the limelight, in the spotlight, and, and makes it, uh, in quotation marks, the Jamie Carragher show, both on Sky Sports, uh, Monday Night Football, and on CBS's coverage? What's your opinion on that one, Kartik? He's a jovial guy. He's a likable guy. He's a, He's got his Scouse accent and his kind of Scouse sense of humor, which I appreciate. And I've been around a lot of uh, uh, people from Merseyside in my life. So I, I actually do appreciate that. I think, though, when you're and, and the CBS studio seems to fit him because uh, Mika Richards has kind of the same sense of humor. And, and uh, Kate Abdo is, is kind of more lighthearted in the way she presents. Uh, what, what I saw on Sky on Monday Night Football was a deadly serious Gary Neville. 
going through squad selection for a tournament that he, and we don't want an England man, uh, Gary Neville is, a tournament he believes uh, is the best shot for England to win a, a major trophy in his lifetime. So uh, maybe it was the wrong occasion for Carragher to be joking and palling around, right? Because uh, there were times uh, that Neville seemed to be you know, serious and saying, let me finish. And you could see in his face he was angry and he wanted to make, make certain points. Uh, or, or was kind of dismissive of, 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 of Carragher's thoughts on something. So uh, I think it's it's his personality. I, I think he's very uh, he's he's very light mm-hmm. in, in the way he presents stuff. But he makes some good good points also. Like I mentioned, the Jude Bellingham point, I think it's very good. Actually, if I'm in the position of being the England manager, I probably take Carragher's advice and do that. I think even if Bellingham is not going to play, he's 17 years old. He's he's already a starter in the Bundesliga on a team fighting for a Champions League spot. Should have had a goal in Champions League, quite frankly, right? Yeah, a yeah oh, for call. sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, against Manchester City. You know, he picked uh, Ed- Ederson's pocket. So, yeah, I, I think I take that guy. I agree with Carragher on that. I, I think if you have one, if the last guy on your roster is not going to play anyway, might as well take a guy that you, you think is a big, good one for the future. I, I think with Jamie, it's... Uh... It's all about him. And, and, and that's not in a bad way. I mean, I find him uh, entertaining. Uh, he has the gift of the gab. He is very, I mean, he's trying to manipulate people sometimes. I, th- I think Micah Richards is probably a good example of that, where he's kind of uh, nudging or, or pushing, trying to get Micah to say something so that Jamie can react. Or, or Jamie will actually ask a question to Micah uh, to get have him go down a certain path so that Jamie can kind of then jump in with, with his opinion. Uh, I, I like him in terms of he's very watchable. He is very jovial, like you mentioned. Uh, his analysis is not the greatest. So, like, for example, uh, on Wednesday's broadcast, I think post-match uh, after the PSG boss, um, Bayern game, Jamie said something to the, along the lines of, like, well, Kylian uh, uh, Mbappe has, has got to really show it on the biggest stage uh, that, that's still yet to be seen. Well, this is the, sa- the same guy, the French striker, who scored uh, one of the goals in uh, France winning the World Cup final against Croatia just a, just a, a couple of years ago, or two and a half years ago. So, you I mean, maybe he meant on the club stage, uh, not on the actual international stage, but still, some of the things he says are not the great the best analysis uh, by any means going back for a second to the sky sports monday night football uh what was his opinion uh now this is monday of course but what was his opinion about um about trent uh, alexander arnold uh did he want him to be on the england squad or not yeah, he not only did he want him to be on the England squad, this is where I really got annoyed with him. I, I thought he was advocating for Alexander-Arnold as a Liverpool fan. That's the way yeah. he came across to me and was adamant about it and was dismissive of one Neville's arguments about Trippier, James, and uh, and, and Walker, and also uh, the head-to-head comparison with Reese James that Neville was making. And then, two, even more dismissive of Neville saying – uh, okay, I'm taking my opinion out of this. This is what Gareth Southgate thinks. This is why he's going to make this selection. Why I, I Gary Neville, who was who coached at the international level right, and has coached the team in La Liga, right? Even though he didn't do a great job at Valencia, I mean, he has he he knows what he has more knowledge of what a coach is thinking about these selections. Uh, what Gary Neville, uh, why Gary Neville believes that Gareth Southgate 
is not taking Trent Alexander-Arnold to the Euros and then gave multiple reasons. Trippier, he thinks the combination of Trippier being experienced, being a guy that can play in a, in a back four or back five, now playing for Diego Simeone, which means you're defending an awful lot, right? <laughs> because that's that's Atleti. Um, and then Walker's experience and ability to play also as a center back. And then just thinking Reese James is a, is a better one-on-one defender than Alexander-Arnold, that those three guys are all ahead of him from the perspective of Gareth Southgate. Uh, Carragher didn't seem to uh, appreciate or respect this point that this is what the England manager is thinking. I mean, to him, that was just, (laughs) well, I mean, Liverpool, they won the Champions League, they won the Premier League, and he's going on about this stuff. Right. Um, And it just, to me, sounded very fanny. What's interesting, though, too, I mean, Gary and Evel can get that way, too, about Manchester United. So so in some ways, it's good to have those two both on that show because both of those clubs hate each other. There's, I mean, there's, I mean, uh, and both of them are very protective of their own teams in terms of and it does skew their analysis for sure, because, you mean, Carragher, we saw on Tuesday some of the, the weaknesses of, of Trent in terms of his uh, defensive abilities uh, and, and saw a couple of clear examples of why he shouldn't be starting uh, in, in this England team in the Euros uh, this summer. But the thing about Jamie is that he's a master of social media. So I did not see Monday Night uh, Football, Sky Sports. All I saw was the clips on, on social media, and a lot of them were Jamie Carragher making fun of Gary Neville. It was kind of like, here's... Uh, here, here, here's Jamie in, in the studio laughing and then kind of pointing at Gary Neville and Gary Neville's kind of there just, you mean, not saying anything and just getting pissed, pissed off. Um, and the uh, same thing too, I think, with uh, Wednesday's broadcast, well, Tuesday too, but, but CBS's broadcast too, is a lot of the post-match footage, not a lot, some of the post-match footage is reactions, Jamie Carragher's reactions to the goals that are being scored. Uh, Micah Richards' uh, reactions and Alex Scott and uh, Kate Abdo. So you have the cameras focused on them even in the studio, even after you know, Bayern scores a goal and, and Thomas Muller scores a beautiful header. What does Jamie Carragher do? And you see him jumping up, up out of his uh, seat, running around, dancing. And, you know, it's, it's for the cameras because he knows post-match. Uh, if there's any interesting clips there, they'll put it on television and also on social media, and then he can retweet that. I, I think that's the part that has made him what I would say is arguably the hottest TV analyst right now is he knows how to game social media, and he's doing these things, and it's working because you, here's, uh, you, you and me talking about this for like, like 10 or 15 minutes about uh, Jamie Carragher. I mean, yes, the football was amazing this week. It was a great week of, of games uh, from around the world, but we're talking about Jamie Carragher. The other thing about this, Kartik, too, is that uh, we have to remember that uh, NBC Sports has the rights to Sky Sports' coverage of Monday Night Football and other things that uh, the NBC could go ahead and, and, and use from time to time or incorporate into their broadcast. Uh, the tricky thing about Monday Night Football is that uh, from NBC's perspective, for a, a game that's on Monday, the second game, it usually ends about five o'clock. And by the time they do the kind of the post-match uh, reaction, it's then 10 after five. And then it's a hard stop at 5.30 and you've got commercial breaks in between there. So there's not a lot of time uh, to actually kind of bring in Sky Sports. 
also at the same time, too, you've, you've got the production team working with Liam McHugh and uh, the two Robbies or whoever's in the studio on that Monday. So there isn't really much of an opportunity to bring it in unless you say, hey, uh, two Robbies and uh, uh, Danny Higginbotham and Lee McHugh on Monday, you guys take a break. We're, we're actually going to go ahead and use more of Sky Sports's uh, footage and kind of uh, integrate that broadcast more into what we're doing. I, I guess at the end of the day, Kartik, I, I just feel that we're missing out. NBC Sports could be incorporating some of this footage into what they're doing in stateside to make it more exciting. And, and I just feel that we're missing out, that there's a lot of viewers and listeners that are not seeing this really good entertainment and good television. Yeah, and, and conversely, it seems like uh, uh, NBC goes to Sky Sports for so, kind of these uh, these boring pit side studios uh, hosted by Kelly Cates or, or whoever that don't give you a whole lot more than you're getting on NBC. Uh, and, and we're missing out on these really good segments on Monday Night Football, the, uh, the, 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 the debate, some of the other things that – might liven up the broadcast a little bit. I, I, I don't propose getting rid of the NBC Monday studio hosted by Liam McHugh or Ahmed Farid. I think that that's fine, but they should have maybe a 15-minute segment where they go to Sky Sports, where they have clips from Sky Sports uh, to, to liven it up because Monday Night Football is uh, the, the premier uh, Sky Sports uh, broadcast, right? That, that's really kind of they, – they've, they've developed that into – It's the top football show. Yeah, right. yeah, they've de- de- developed it into the top football bumper show or studio show around the games uh, because everything else is in the books for the weekend. There are things to talk about, and I, and I, and this uh, this debate. I think uh, they were planning on having the, the, the debate about the twenty three anyway, but because Klopp had uh, chosen, and, and we know Klopp this year has been very aggressive in the media to say the least. Klopp had chosen the post match of the Arsenal match to. Uh, to um, question Garrett Southgate's judgment about Trent Alexander-Arnold, which, look, I get that. If you're a manager, you're, try- you're trying to build your player up, right? Yeah. Always. And, and maybe more, more club managers need to do that and say, you know what, uh, if an international manager is not picking my guy, I don't know what's wrong with this international manager. In, in any event, Klopp doing that set the stage for this debate on Monday that we didn't get to see on the coverage in the U.S. Uh, then again, maybe uh, who's selected for the Euro squad uh, is not of, of uh, interest to NBC viewers because the Euros are in NBC's mind because the Euros are on ESPN. I don't, maybe that plays a factor in all this. It's, pro- it's, it's probably uh, partly a factor, but, uh, and some could argue that uh, the England squad uh, for the Euros is not a topic that most Americans would be interested in. I, I disagree, though, because it, it is very integrated into the Premier League. Uh, even though, you mean, so, so at the weekend, Liverpool plays. I mean, Monday, this discussion about uh, Liverpool's performance and the performance of uh, um, Alexander Arnold, as well as other topics. Uh, then they're looking ahead to, okay, right, Real Madrid in the Champions League. They're talking about the England squad. It's to me, it's all integrated. It's it's the same player or the same players. They're often competing in these different tournaments. And yes, you may not have the rights to all these tournaments, but um, based on one individual player, if we look at the, just uh, Alexander Arnold, uh, it is important to kind of monitor his performance and how well is he he's doing for Liverpool or not. Uh, does that impact uh, his play for qualifying for the national team as as well as in the Champions League? How does that affect him too? So I think I think it's integral. I think it is t- uh, 
topical. I think it is timely. I think even if it doesn't have anything to do with the Premier League, uh, directly, indirectly, it does. And you mean coming up for this weekend's games uh, with NBC Sports's uh, studio team talking about, say, a Liverpool match, and uh, that would be a great opportunity to talk about. Trent uh, Alexander-Arnold's performances midweek as well as question marks about whether or not he's going to make the England squad and the pressure that he's under, the pressure whether it's fair or unfair uh, the the Klopp's under too I mean there's there's so many different factors and and I'm sure the pandemic plays into this context in terms of NBC's decision making abilities with everything that's been going on and as well as uh, games being staggered, the kickoffs. So it's long days, right? Kickoff time, say, at uh, 7.30 in the morning. And then by the time the final game finishes, sometimes it's like, what, 5.30 in the evening. Yeah, Eastern time. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like 10, 10 hours of nonstop coverage, whether it's on going from Peacock to NBC, SN, back to Peacock, back to NBC. It's a long day, so... I would like to see like maybe next season, maybe that um, a really hopefully by then everything's OK and, and we can actually see the fruits of the partnership between Sky Sports and NBC Sports, because ultimately they're owned by the same company, which is Comcast. So maybe maybe we uh, will give I don't know to me, maybe give them a little bit of uh, a break and, and then see what they do next season when everything returns to normal. Yeah, and I think the Euros are also kind of critical for NBC because uh, the transfer market and the the, the 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 next Premier League season are so often shaped by what happens in that uh, yeah. in 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 that tournament in and around that tournament. So I think it, it, it's it's a really important thing that they should be integrating through coverage, and they might. I mean, I think I think what it comes down to with guys like Ravi Musto and, and Danny Higginbotham talk about the Euros, right? It, it, it seeps into their analysis as this Champions League, even though there seems to have been an institutional decision by NBC not to talk about Champions League very much or talk about FA Cup very much or talk about League Cup very much or, or the Euros. And then just a couple more things about the Champions League um this week, I thought the the Robert Lewandowski uh, pre-match interview on Wednesday was fantastic. Uh, hearing him speak English and and talking about uh, being injured and when he's going to be coming back, but also talking about uh, a little bit about his personal life and uh, his goals and you mean know, what he thinks of uh, uh, Erling Haaland, uh, etc. I thought that was really a really good piece of television. Something that we don't see that often. Uh, I thought Clive Tildesley's um, commentary on Wednesday was very good, uh, as was Peter Drury on Tuesday for those big games. But the one point I would like to add, though, too, is that um, on Tuesday's matches, you had two really bizarre decisions in that Man City uh, Dortmund game in the first half. And at halftime, I mean, to me, I want a referee analyst to be analyzing those. CBS Sports has Christina Uncle uh, on staff, so she's available if 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 you want to incorporate her in, into the broadcast. But instead, they had Jamie Carragher and Micah Richards discussing the points, discussing the, the, those decisions. And when you have players or analysts doing that, they're not referee experts. They're not on top of the latest. Uh, uh, all the latest developments with refereeing and know every little intimate detail. That's where you need a Christina Uncle. And, and, and to Fox's credit, too, I mean, at least with uh, Dr. Joe, they had somebody on staff who could actually break things down and give yep. us a good reason yep. of what, what happened and why. 
and I, and, I, and I think that that it was really crying out for uh, Christina Uncle on uh, Tuesday. So that's a, a a big miss there. I think from uh, CBS. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, the uh, I'd like to know the referee's perspective on how the referee can miss a, a call like the Bellingham call that I referenced earlier in the sh- in the show because that that's also kind of heartbreaking from the perspective of a young young English player. You get uh, as we're saying, character saying take this guy to the tournament because he's going to be the guy we build around in four to six years what a confidence boost that would be for him away from home of uh, coming back to England as an England international full England international to score that goal and, and, and instead he gets booked so I would love to know what what the referee's angle was the trajectory why uh, he made the decision that somehow Ed, Ed Erickson had uh, had been interfered with uh, with, which, if anything, you know, it, it might be uh, a foul the other way, <laughs> right? Although, no, it's no foul. It's, it should be just a goal. But, right. yeah, so I think that was a big miss. And I think the the fact of the matter is because of the nature of Champions League, which is this one-off, one-and-two-off competition, right? It's not the league. And I, 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 have, I say it all the time that – we complain about officiating at the league level, but over a 38-match Premier League season, 34-match Bundesliga season, 38-match Liga 1 season, etc., these calls tend to even out for clubs. And we obsess about certain calls uh, in, in, in matches and say, oh, if this had gone this way, this team would have two more points. They wouldn't have drawn, they would have won, and they would have won the title, or they would have been in the Champions League, or they wouldn't have been relegated. But those things tend to even out. They don't in Champions League. Mm-hmm. We've seen it time and time again that... that uh, Generally, most Champions League winners have had a lot of good fortune in terms of officiating. And I, I would include uh, both Pep victories in that, in Barcelona in 2009 and 2011. I would include Real Madrid the year that they had all these kind of strange calls against Bayern. I want to say that I can't remember if that was the quarterfinals or the semifinals. Uh, you know, every call went their way. Uh, so, And there have been others, too. Uh, yeah, I would even argue plenty. maybe Real Madrid in the year they beat Atleti in the final. <laughs> a lot of strange calls. So you need to have someone on staff ready to talk about that because there are more. The decisions are more important than we we talk about. Well, we wish Clattenburg was in the uh, NBC studio more. We do, but it's actually more critical. CBS have have Christina Uncle in their studio because of the nature of the competition they're covering versus uh, NBC having Clattenburg in their studio. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's a, a satellite transmission or a Skype transmission where she's on call, if something does happen in any of these games where it is controversial, and we need an expert's opinion to to break it down to tell us. I mean, maybe we missed something. Maybe the, the commentator didn't see something or maybe the analyst got it wrong. Whatever it may be, um, it always is very, very helpful to have an opinion there, an, an expert opinion. And like Tuesdays, she probably would have had like five minutes at least on that halftime show. Uh, Wednesday, probably you, there's no need to call her. But, but maybe next week, too, like you said, Kartik. These big games often come down to big calls, and um, and the the viewers, to, I think, would appreciate getting some expert opinion on, on why calls go certain ways um, when it looks like it, there's a mistake. Maybe maybe it wasn't a mistake. In this case, it was, but <laughs> oftentimes it may not be a mistake. It might be just that the fans don't know the latest uh, rules of the game because it just does t- change so quickly, so often. All right, Kartik, let's move on to um, TV streaming news. 
And uh, Wednesday, uh, well, this week you had a chance to, to talk to uh, CBS Sports and NWSL about their coverage of the, the Challenge Cup, which begins on Friday, uh, which is their League Cup. It's an in-season cup. It, it's kind of the uh, inaugural, it's kind of the beginning of, of the new season before it goes into the regular season. But I wanted to use it kind of talk, talk for a few minutes about uh, what you've learned so far and um, whether or not you're excited about this new season's uh, coverage. Yeah, so so uh, spent some time with CBS and, and, and talked to NWSL also in, in anticipation of the new season, which kicks off Friday night. CBS Sports Network, Houston and Chicago, uh, is the first match. And actually, let me let me mention that is the uh, that is the Challenge Cup, right? So uh, effectively, last year we know that there was a, a competition that they had uh, in Utah. That was a closed-door bubble competition, and this year they're going to be uh, repeating that in in uh, at home venues. But it's a cup competition, right? And it's going to be one month, uh, twenty-one matches. All twenty-one matches will be aired on uh, CBS Sports Network, uh, CBS Over the Air. The final will be CBS Over the Air or Paramount Plus. So all twenty-one matches from that competition. Uh, Exciting development, J.P. Della Camera, who, who we think very highly of on this show, and I think most people around American soccer do, uh, is going to be the, the lead announcer for the big matches on, on CBS Network Television and uh, a few of the matches on CBS Sports Network. So uh, talk to NWSL about that. They're very excited to have J.P. Della Camera as a voice of their league. That, that's a big step for them. Uh, also, uh, they'll continue on with uh, with uh, Jen Hildreth and Lori Lindsay doing a lot of the uh, the, the CBS Sports Network matches. Uh, uh, Jen Hildreth has been doing uh, NWSL from the beginning and did WPS before that as the uh, as the lead commentator. Uh, and uh, oh, and I should mention Ali Wagner will be paired with JP Della Camera, which I think everybody kind of assumed, but <laughs> probably who was listening. But that so that it is Ali Wagner. Uh, CBS is very very committed to NWSL. That's one thing I, I learned, Chris, as they um, as they gain more rights in their soccer portfolio. They've gained, obviously, Serie A, Argentine League, Brasileiro, all the CONCACAF rights, uh, in addition to having uh, the UEFA club competitions in NWSL. NWSL still has a significant uh, place uh, because they, they see it as an elite, premier-level-like league to go along, not just with their other soccer content, but to go along with their other sports content. They show the NFL. They show the Masters. They show uh, SEC football for now. They're losing the rights. But they show SEC football, which is the premier – it's like the Premier League, right, of, of, of college football in many people's minds, and, uh, and the NCAA basketball tournament. So to them, NWSL is a premier property, which is why you see such a commitment to showing games even on over-the-air CBS – uh, the other thing I would mention, Chris, is that they were um, pleased by the ratings last year. I, I, I don't think uh, – you and I on this show and in print have speculated that NWSL, if with the right broadcast partner, could get similar numbers to MLS, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was a theory of ours, but yeah. it had never been tested until last season because they had always been on networks that were also covering MLS and treated it as a second-tier throwaway property uh, in ESPN and Fox or were on Lifetime, which most people just didn't think of for, for, for watching sports. Although they had some matches on Lifetime that got decent numbers, as we've talked about uh, at that in that time, that era on the uh, on the podcast. But now that they're on a mainstream network that is pushing them and even giving them uh, broadcasts over the air. The numbers have been very impressive and uh, and the league is uh, is in, in a very 
different place, I think, from a public relations, public perception standpoint, being on CBS than they were a couple of years ago when they were uh, had that A&E deal, which had them on Lifetime and, and before that on Copa 90 and all these. Uh, I can't even remember what was it, Copa 90. It was Go 90 <laughs> right. and all these different uh, different carriers. And then they were on ESPN for half a season, but it was kind of throwaway on ESPN News, etc. So very, very positive developments. Real quickly, uh, season kicks off Friday on CBS Sports Network. CBS Sports Network has aired a documentary already at the time of we're recording this that they will re-air a couple times this week on The Bubble. They call it the original bubble. NWSL was the first American professional sports league to go into a bubble before uh, uh, before ma- baseball or basketball or, or men's soccer, MLS or hockey. First North American sport to do that. So uh, they uh, they have a nice little documentary about that. And then uh, they will have the final uh, of the Challenge Cup in early May on CBS over the air. They will also have the final of the NWSL regular season in November, November on CBS over the air. And last little tidbit, uh, the door is open for maybe putting more net, uh, more matches, moving more matches to CBS. So that's a very, very encouraging thing. And uh, maybe if those numbers are good, they'll be encouraged to move Serie A matches to CBS also. So I think it's, it's a, a rising tide lifts all boats in, in soccer. Yeah, so every match will be on Paramount Plus, um, as well Correct. as, like, as yes. Kartik mentioned, uh, uh, some of the games on CBS Sports Network, some of the games on CBS Over the Air Network. And uh, what's interesting about the thing about this, Kartik, I, I think, from my opinion, is that there's definitely a buzz, there's an excitement, there's a freshness about NWSL. And it reminds me of some of the early days of Major League Soccer where there was excitement. I mean, NWSL has been around for a while, but it reminds me of some of the early days of MLS. And I think in some ways, NWSL is, is a good league. It's entertaining to watch, but it also benefits from not having a lot of competition in the women's professional soccer leagues. So you've got the, the women's super league, uh, but most of those games are on the FA player. I think most soccer fans, you know, talk about mainstream soccer fans, most mainstream soccer fans probably aren't even aware that the FA player exists. Some of the games, yes, will be on NBCSN, but it's usually only on weekends when uh, there's no Premier League matches on. It's it's an FA Cup weekend or it's an international break. So, so I think I mean, a big advantage, and it's a good thing, is that NWSL doesn't have a lot of competition for women's club soccer on television. So it has an opportunity, just like Major League Soccer did in its early years, to really establish a foothold, a foundation, and then build from there. And I think a lot of the decisions that NWSL are making uh, about the way that the league is run and uh, how it seems to be they're very fresh, transparent, uh, very I mean, creative and um, in terms of the deals that they're signing, some of these sponsorship deals, I mean, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to watch some of the games. And I think it helps to have a really strong partner with CBS Sports that we saw last year. Some of those, the coverage of those games uh, had a different feel to it. It didn't feel like the UEFA Champions League coverage uh, from CBS. It had its own persona. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to definitely catching up and watching some games uh, this weekend from that Challenge Cup. Now, speak- yeah, and I think the other the other thing I want to wanted to say about this is, Chris, when you compare it to early days of MLS, I think we're at a point now where we know NWSL is going to make it. I think the early years of the league, yep. 
a lot of us were thinking the league was just going to fold like the previous two incarnations of, of, of women's professional leagues in this country and uh, weren't as committed and as into it. It took me a few years. I was following it, but it was, okay, I don't want to be let down by this league collapsing again. But what they got, they've gotten past uh, several hurdles now. And I, and, I, and I think the CBS deal actually just ensures they're going to be around. I mean, that, yeah. that, that to me is huge. Which is, which is also re- reminiscent of the early days of Major League Soccer when there was a lot of talks, talk about whether the league would be folding and it was very close to, to folding at one stage uh, in the what early 2000s and then yep. uh, I mean contracted a couple of teams kept on going and has grown from there um, so yeah so Kartik's got more information about uh, it goes into more detail about the coverage plans as well as some um, some quotes from some interviews he did and that's at uh, on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com now, I mentioned that all of the games are going to be on Paramount+. Plus. Speaking of Paramount+, Plus, um, this week also at worldsoccertalk.com, we have an interview with one of the executives at CBS Sports about Paramount+, Plus and, and what their goals are. What, what, uh, how do they see themselves as a streaming platform? What are some of their ambitious uh, intentions for Paramount+, Plus in the future? And while I won't read the whole article, I'm just going to pull out a few quotes. Uh, you, again, you can read the, the full story and all the other quotes at worldsoccertalk.com. But uh, uh, in my interview with um, uh, Jeffrey uh, Gratula, who's the uh, CBS Sports executive there, he says, uh, in terms of being asked the question about uh, acquiring more soccer rights, and as the listener, you know, uh, there's a lot out there this year possibility of La Liga, possibility, and there's definitely uh, Premier League, uh, Major League Soccer next year, and uh, other leagues too, the Dutch League, etc. So CBS Sports' uh, Jeffrey Gutula says, we're always looking. Our mission in trying to make this a must-subscribe service is that we're looking at everything. We're assessing the numbers. We love this audience. We think we can build a product that is something very special and that shows care and respect for the game. We're looking at everything. We don't feel like we're done. We will definitely have more announcements as the year progresses. We have a variety of things in the works. Viacom CBS believes in the strategy of looking at acquiring more rights for Paramount+. Plus. They're giving us the resources to attack where it makes sense. So without promising too much, we're definitely going to be looking at rights as they come up. We think we can change the game for soccer broadcasting, and that's what we're setting out to do. We're super excited. We're passionate about this. We live and die with the audience. We get it. Our job is to keep getting better. So uh, some strong words there from CBS in terms of their intentions. So... They're definitely communicating that they're that they understand the audience. They're passionate as we are. They want the best soccer coverage. They want to do their own take on it, which is giving us more of the the storytelling aspect, uh, telling us more about I mean the history of the the Boca River Derby from the Argentine League as one example, uh, and and even with Serie A coverage too, maybe uh, having more of the storytelling sides sides of things. So maybe having some features or some doc- documentaries, etc. Um, I don't know, for me, for me, I mean, who knows what rights they'll pick up in the the next uh, six to tw- twelve months? But I'm excited. I think I think they've got good intentions. I think that um, their play is that almost everything will be on Paramount Plus. I mean, that's that's their goal. Is they're a tough competitor to ESPN Plus? ESPN Plus finally has a really tough competitor. 
But I'm excited uh, where they're going to take this because I've been really impressed by the coverage of the NWSL and the Champions League and the Europa League. Um, and I think there's a lot of potential there to, to really kind of make this even bigger than what it is currently. All right, Kartik, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up is Alex. Alex says, uh, I just want to talk about the European Super League idea uh, that you, oh, well, not, not idea, but I talk about the European Super League that you talked about. This may have been discussed, but here are my solutions to this problem that Eurosoccer has. It breaks down to competition and money. Right now, money for some teams is no issue and makes other, other teams in the league not as competitive. So the first way to change things is to create the Super League with a type of round-robin promotion, meaning that you have the size of the league to whatever they were talking about, 16 to 20 teams. Then you can have a bottom two to three teams that would be relegated back to the country's first league divisions and champions of their home league would be promoted. So there is some excitement in winning, uh, in one winning the home title and then not knowing if you might get promoted to the Super League. The second way is not as exciting, but it works just as well. The leagues must put in hard salary caps. The teams must budget out their money. I know not all the teams can afford to be at the top limits in the NFL salary cap, but it gives some fairness. I watch many teams over time overspend on some players for them to get hurt uh, on salary uh, later in the future. To me, it's the only way to see uh, teams compete with a lot of big-name teams. To, to me, um, remove the top four to six Premier League teams, and now the other teams could play and compete like the championship, or you keep them and make the top four to six, uh, making them spend less and have to make harder decisions on who they bring in. Uh, no offense, Alex, but I completely disagree with all this. <laughs> One, I'm against the whole concept of the European Super League in the first place. And two, I'm against the whole idea of having salary caps. I think it, uh, if uh, Russian oligarchs or uh, tycoons want to invest as much money as they want to into a club, and uh, you mean, no matter what happens to that club, you mean, whether they go up or go down or whatever, it, you mean, to me, it makes it more exciting rather than having a really boring salary cap where they have to work within. Now, that may not be the future, Kartik, but I don't know. I, I just do not like that uh, approach. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't like salary caps. What I do like are luxury taxes. So um, I think that there there can be a, a guideline for what you can spend, and if you go over it, you pay uh, a, a fine into the uh, into a, 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 a kitty that gets uh, divided among the other clubs. So I'm, I'm, I'm an anti-salary cap guy. I do think it's anti-competitive. Uh, and, and I think it, it, it also pre- prevents investment. I mean, one of the things you want in this sport is more investment. You want more people to be putting their money in their sport. And it ultimately helps the communities they're in also. Uh, but I do think a luxury tax, which, by the way, uh, I've talked to, um, talked to uh, since the NASL, uh, had obviously their legal issues with U.S. soccer and, and have stopped playing. Talked to a number of people in that league, which I had previously worked in, but had not was not working in at the time. That they did implement a luxury tax, uh, and uh, there were there were a few teams that had to pay uh, because they went over the the, le- the the prescribed limit, and they were able to distribute funds uh, to the other teams. So it, it is a way of uh, of being a deterrent, uh, but also saying, hey. Uh, if you do go above that 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 line, we will help the rest of the league. It's not just going to be something you can blow past without consequence. 
Uh, Jean says, uh, Paramount Plus becomes the big winner in the near future. The Nations League games against Honduras and either Mexico or Costa Rica just became must-see if you're a fan of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Berhalta has already stated he wants a full squad at these matches. It's important for this team to not only play well, but to get results and build chemistry as they move on to World Cup qualifying in September. Uh, very true. I think good points there by Gene. Josinho says, uh, as much as I would like to see the U.S. men's national team perform just as well in the World Cup as uh, American athletes in the Olympics, the real problem is the competition within CONCACAF does not incentivize the U.S. to play at a higher level as one would expect a senior national team to perform. I wonder how much the level of interest would increase for the U.S. men's national team if there was a combined Copa America every four years, for example, uh, 2024 and 2028, instead of just the Gold Cup. In my opinion, the U.S. men's national team uh, wouldn't need the Olympics at that point, except only to draw attention to their under-23 squad. If the USA were to ever win the World Cup, it would only begin with a merger between CONCACAF and CONMEBOL. So the US would start competing with the likes of Colombia, Uruguay and Chile for World Cup qualification. Stronger competition is warranted if the US men's national team are to ever be taken ser- seriously on the global stage. Good points by Jozinho. Actually, for me personally, Kartik, uh I agree that uh, it's again, it's never going to happen. We're never going to have CONCACAF merge with Commonball. Um no. but but there could be opportunities for them to say, "Hey, let's work together and actually have uh, another uh, tournament, um, maybe staged in the U.S. or staged in U.S. and Mexico, where it is going to be kind of a, a split Copa American Gold, Gold Cup or something like that." The the, the the thing about this though too is that. Um, some of the U.S. soccer fans, fans of the U.S. men's national team are so fickle that if you didn't have the Gold Cup and you had the U.S. enter just the Copa America that would be combined and the U.S. would get knocked out in the group stage, uh, maybe say the first one or two tournaments. I think, if anything, actually the level of excitement and morale and uh, support for the U.S. men's national team would drop. But having said that, though, too, the actual playing level and competing against these better teams would actually help the U.S. in the long run. I'm just not so sure that uh, U.S. Soccer Federation for the short term would be willing to do that because they they think they'd be losing so much money. No, no, they're not. Actually, we've already been down this road. The U.S. tried to propose in, in, in replacement of a Copa America uh, back in 2019. They tried they, they, they proposed some sort of uh, tournament where they would um, where they would uh, 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 have a combined uh, uh, competition inviting South American countries and having it in the United States. Uh, and what happened with that was the South American federations and they the, the answer for the U.S. Federation to everything is money. Right. right. Everything they think comes down to money. So Cordero said, hey, Chile, hey, uh, hey, hey, Uruguay, we'll give you we guarantee you X amount of, of, of compensation for this competition. And they blew them off because I think the U.S. wanted wants to have these competitions, but they want it in the U.S. So they make money. So uh, Common Ball has now sh- uh, shown that they will not go for that anymore. They went for it once with 2016. It was a it was a centenario it was a commemoration. So they did it. They will not go for it again. In addition, uh, the situation right now is uh, is that uh, uh, 
CONCACAF is, is a federation which has got 41 countries, and, uh, and most of those are island nations. Most of those are nations that depend economically on having a, uh, a, a competition which they can qualify for and make money off of. Okay, These are not wealthy nations. So, again, there's a lot of uh, uh, hope among U.S. soccer fans and, and fans from Mexico and Canada that they can break off and, and, and uh, play at a higher level, but that will never happen. That will never be permitted. Um, in fact, uh, CONCACAF has probably indulged the U.S. and Mexico more than they should in certain things. So um, I don't think I, I, it, it all makes sense from a football standpoint, but it doesn't make any sense from a financial standpoint and, and won't happen for that reason, because the finances are what drive these things, not football. Exactly. Fetchin says, I hope Discovery Plus does not win the Premier League bidding rights. I don't need another service to just watch soccer. Discovery Plus, for me, uh, to subscribe is that they need at least more than one sport that I can watch for me to subscribe. If Peacock doesn't retain the rights, then I think Peacock is over for me unless they can renew the rights to the NHL or get League Earn or something. Nick says, NBCSN has lost the plot. I'm watching the Premier League match this past weekend with my team, Leeds United, against Sheffield United. NBCSN has been disrespectful to this match throughout. Less than three minutes before the game, NBC is still not switched to pre-match build-up and is instead showing a Pulisic, uh, Pulisic uh, interview. Halftime commentary has no relevance to the match, but is instead more garbage about the Pulisic substitution. Highly disrespectful to non-Big Six teams and the live match. Hopefully NBC loses the rights because we as Premier League fans deserve better. That's a great yeah, example yeah. there, Kartik, yes, of somebody yes. that doesn't that is a fan of, of a team that's not in the, uh, the Big Six. Yeah, I, this is. Uh, thank you for that, Nick. This is exactly what I keep talking about, uh, both on this show and on Twitter and in, in personal conversations. And I thought it had gotten a little better since December, uh, but then we saw well, the backsliding. And it, it's it gotten better since December because there's really, been it was really nothing. Terrible. I mean, well, it was well, horrible. Well, because there's, there's been nothing to say about Pulisic. It's, he hasn't been playing yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So no, they, it's not just. A- Pulisic thing, it's that they talk about, they don't talk about if it's a match involving Sheffield United, that team's not interested to them, interesting to them, or Southampton's okay. not interesting to them. So they don't talk about those teams, even if they're playing. But yeah, the Pulisic thing also, right? That they ad nauseum. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is creating this thing in the U.S. where there's this resentment of every player who's not Pulisic on uh, on uh, Chelsea. You know, I, I went through it last year because I'm a big Mason Mount advocate, and I'm not a big Mason Mount advocate because it's, he's on the same team as Pulisic, and I want him to play. He's just genuinely, uh, from a perspective Fantastic of an attacking player. midfielder, the best English young in- midfielder I've seen like this since uh, uh, Scholes or Lampard, seriously. Wow. So uh, that's why I was a big proponent of him. But I got so much abuse for it because they're, they're saying, oh, it's because Lampard's playing him because he's English and he's Lampard's boy. Now that anger has shifted to Timo Werner um, and to uh, a lesser extent Kai Havertz. So uh, NBC is also ratcheting this up, and we see it on social media where any player on Chelsea that plays a remotely similar position to, to Pulisic, because all the three of these players I mentioned do not play actually the same position as Pulisic's ideal position, although Werner can play on the left side. Mm-hmm. But um, they, there's this like feeding frenzy now where uh, – and, and, and any substitution, any time – 
Werner has talked about on NBC in the studio, it's relative to Pulisic, right? He's all, his name always comes up in the conversation. Anytime uh, uh, Ziyech is talked about in the studio, he's, it's relative to Pulisic. So, yeah, I totally get you, Nick. Between the Pulisic thing and the disrespect for, for non-Big Six clubs, I, 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 NBC wasn't like this when they, when they well, first covered the Premier League. It's changed completely. Has it always been like this, though, Kartik? I mean, even before, I don't think it was. but even before Pulisic, though, I mean, it's, and and just in general, I mean, anything a U.S. player does anywhere, right? Like a substitution appearance, somebody comes on on for as a second half sub, or someone scores, oh, I don't know, scores gets an assist. It's like people on on Twitter, especially, are like, "Oh my gosh, did you just see so and so and so and so?" And people um, saying that Zach Steffen is better than Ed Erickson. I mean, come on. I, I, that, that, that started with NBC talking about Steffen also. And it's like, I mean, come on. Right. I, I, I don't have time for someone who makes an idiotic comment like that. Uh, yeah, but, it, it, seemed, it seems new to me. I mean, within the last 12 months or so, that it seems kind of it's ratcheted up. I, I don't remember it being this bad before, but maybe, maybe it depends on the people I follow. And uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's – I think you're right. I think – so we always, we always uh, on this show fingered Fox for this. Uh, but now, <laughs> in, now I, I've seen what NBC's doing, and I'm thinking NBC – see they're, they're um fox may be more overt in rob stone shouting an american and, and right. we know lawless's take on some of this stuff but nbc is much more aggressive about taking the analysis of anything else and, and involving the american angle to it uh, at least at least when it comes to chelsea i mean that's and then I saw it with Man City, right? Oh, is there now a goalkeeping controversy because stefan kept a clean sheet i mean are you kidding <laughs> Right. Yeah. How, 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 how do you compare a guy who uh, who who, who uh, gave up a lot of goals at Fortuna Dusseldorf last season and is a you know he's a nice nice backup goalkeeper to yeah. Ed Erson, one of the top keepers in the world, and they started this whole thing on NBC. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Last but not least, uh, Adolfo says, I would like to comment on things he said, uh, Kartik, about Telemundo's uh, coverage of Chivas against America, uh, the game a few weeks ago. I felt the coverage was good as Andres Cantor and Manuel Sol uh, are as good as you can get calling matches in Spanish or, in my opinion, in any language. I prefer Telemundo to Univision as Univision is largely owned by Televisa and their coverage of anything other than Club America is minimal at best. Lastly, Telemundo coverage of the World Cup of 2018 blew anything Fox Sports did and uh, did as good, as, if not better, than what uh, NBC, uh, ESPN or Univision had when they had the World Cup rights. Do you agree? Yeah, there? I I generally agree with that. Other than the the Chivas America match, and again, uh, good point, Adolfo. You 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 might be right because of the Televisa angle, and and uh, now Televisa has uh, invested directly. Right, TUDNA is is a, a, a subsidiary, not a, a co a joint uh, uh, venture between Televisa right. and uh, and Univision. Uh, that the America bias has gotten even stronger. I guess I'm just so used to them doing the matches. I think that I and I did kind of. Um, uh, give that caveat. I'm so used to them doing the matches. But yeah, Cantor and Seoul are quality and completely agree on the World Cup. I mean, they had me hooked. Uh, as we know, Chris, we talked about it yeah. at the time. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 I ended up 
watching some of the games on Fox just as a professional obligation for this show and for this website. Uh, any match where I had my own preference and I could watch the match freely, I watched on Telemundo. They, they, were, they were great. And they also, uh, I think, uh, have done a very good job in general with tournaments. Uh, the, the, the Women's World Cup also, even though obviously uh, the U.S. being the driver of that, it's also good to watch that in English. The U.S. and, the U- and England being two of the top three or four teams in the world, always two English language teams. It's good to have uh, English language coverage that you can watch for that on Fox. But uh, yeah, I thought they were good with that. I thought they were really good with the Confederations Cup in 2017. Now, granted, Mexico was in that tournament, so there was incentive. But I, Chris, I think we were blown away, right, by how well they did in 2017 at the Confederations Cup, thinking, my goodness, if they do this for the Confed Cup, imagine how good World Cup coverage is going to be. Yeah, and the World Cup coverage I, I liked a lot because they, they, you could t- tell it was very authentic. It was not just US-centric. It was very passionate. You could tell that uh, the people behind the scenes and the people in front of the cameras were full-blooded soccer fans just as we are. Um, they may speak a different language than us, but they're still soccer fans just like like us. We're hardcore fans uh, and not just supporting just our nation, but just uh, enjoying just the beautiful game as far as just the pure beauty of whatever team it is, whatever player it is, the history, the tradition, and really understanding, I think, the World Cup. And I, and I think even though it's in a language that you and I don't speak uh, or, or understand a lot of Spanish, a little bit, yes, but we, I was still able to actually appreciate Telemundo's coverage uh, so much better than what Fox's coverage was. And uh, yeah, I, I, I had to, at times I had to force myself to watch Fox's coverage to stay on top of it because that's part of my job is is being a, a, an analyst and understanding and knowing what um, the English language networks are doing. And at times it was really painful to watch that because I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is night and day different than what Telemundo was doing. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. Uh, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Can't take it before you know it. I mean... Next year is a World Cup. <laughs> you know what I mean? We got Fox's coverage. It's going to be back, right? So, do, so don't don't get too. Uh, we got Fox and Telemundo will be back. Uh, what November of twenty twenty two? It'll be here before you know it. Yeah, it's it's very weird actually going through these conversations about the Euros to think about the fact that the World Cup is right behind it. Yeah, uh, this time because of, of COVID. And actually, it, it, this might be where Qatar works out because I think it would be that much worse if the Euros were just twelve months before the World Cup. Instead, it's it's uh, it's seventeen months before the World Cup. We used to have this way back when with. Uh, with Copa America, I remember 2001, I think that was the last time Copa America was uh, the year before World Cup, and then it was in Colombia, and a bunch of countries didn't send their, their A-teams, and, and, and one country, Argentina, pulled out completely. So uh, that's also going to be awkward, having a Copa America the year before the World Cup, but I do remember once upon a time when that happened in 2001. But uh, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be very weird uh, having these two major international tournaments the year before a World Cup, which is maybe a good thing for the guys that don't make the squads. Like we're talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold. There's a World Cup right behind it. He has mm-hmm. an opportunity to get himself uh, back into the team. And the flip side is there are guys when Carragher and Neville did that conversa- uh, conversation about the England team. And I thought, my goodness, if this had been 12 months ago, that player would be in the team. Now they're not even discussing 
uh, uh, certain players that would have been in the team 12 months ago. So uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a weird time. So this weekend, Kartik, uh, what's your game to watch? I mean, I've got the easy one, right? I've got, uh, I'm picking El Clasico, uh, Real Madrid yeah. against Barcelona. What about you? Well, I, that's what I was picking, and, and I, I, it's, it's now uh, really a huge match because it's effectively an elimination match for who's going to stay in the title race. Mm-hmm. Uh, although maybe they're both in the title race the way Atleti's been playing of late, which uh, unfortunately was predictable. Uh, so I, I, the other match that I, I was really uh, interested in this week was the, was the Napoli-Juve match. Uh, but that that's already taken place as of uh, as of when we're recording this show. So I would have to go with uh, El Clasico, and I, I ended up watching. Uh, uh, I missed the, the the pregame show you were talking about in the Lewandowski interview because I was watching Susualo, who's been a great story this uh, season. Season take on Inter, and, and and they took him to the they took him to the brink. So uh, yep. Um, so 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 it, that, so, that, it, so it looks like the Italian league's over, the English league is over, the German league is over. Uh, we've got what the Spanish league, um, the French league. The French league is still open, right? Oh yeah, the French league's wide open. So you have four teams within four points, five points. Uh, Lille has a three-point lead over PSG. PSG is a point is in second. PSG is in second. They are a point ahead of Monaco, who who are in third, who are a point ahead of Lyon in fourth. So there are four teams still in it. I think the way Lyon is playing of late, they're they're probably out of it. Um, the reason Monaco may really have a good shot now is Jonathan David has gotten hurt for Lille, which is a very, very big injury. The Canadian international, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe their top player. Um, and then uh, Neymar has gotten himself suspended for PSG. Now, we saw him play well against Bayern in the Champions League, but he's suspended for the next two Liga 1 matches, and I think David is out for two or three weeks. So the door might be open for Nico Kovac at uh, Monaco, who took over the team uh, uh, from Jardin and has been brilliant since he came in, and really kind of uh, whatever... You were at Kovac's last match with yep. Bayern, which he got sacked after against Eintracht, who he had done great with. He had done great with Eintracht and then was not the right fit for Bayern, but he's really rehabilitated his reputation. Um if Monaco had, if there were four more matches in the season, I would say Monaco would win the league for sure. But it's a not a 42 match season; it's a 38 match season, and they've got to chase down. Still have to chase down PSG and Lille. Four points. Uh, I think they might do it. Yeah, and the French league for anyone who's interested, who wants to watch a, a promotion race, right? Other than uh, Spain uh, this weekend, uh, there's three games on television. Actually, three games on streaming on on, on Sunday on Being Sports Connect. Uh, we've got the full schedule at worldsoccertalk.com, but, uh, and also including uh, Strasbourg against PSG on Saturday, and that one's on uh, BN Sports, the, uh, the English language channel. So uh, you can still watch most of the games, uh, League Earn, if you want to uh, stay on top of that league. And, uh, and I should mention uh, uh, really quickly for the audience, uh, Amer- since we're on this U.S. thing and we were bashing the Pulisic talk, I will give some positive American pot talk. Jonathan David's injury has opened the door for Timmy Weah to start. And it appears like he will be the direct replacement and he will be starting in this place. So that's a, an American American international replacing an injured Canadian international. Nice CONCACAF story, but also a title race on the line. And, and Tim Weah is going to play a big role in that. And, and Lillard are three points clear right now. Seven matches to go. And I think last week's podcast, we teased some news and said, like, uh, stay tuned next week. They might have a big, a big announcement. That big announcement hasn't been made yet, um, but there will be a, a big announcement next week. So uh, check out worldsoccertalk.com for that. 
And, and thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audio Boom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com, as well as all of your favorite uh, pod- podcast players. And uh, if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media. And we'd really, really appreciate it if you can give us a review on iTunes. It definitely helps uh, helps the show. In Kartik, El Clasico, NWSL, USL, Premier League, you name it. I mean, there's, there's so many leagues this weekend. And, and it's probably about, on Saturday alone, there's probably about 60 to 75 games available. It's so many to choose from. Um, but what are you going to be doing this weekend and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.